0: Our Bible reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 5 and I'll be reading from verses 21 to 43. We're reading about Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was on the lake, by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of so many doctors and had spent all she'd had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. But once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, "Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. "Your daughter is dead," they said. "Why bother the teacher anymore?" Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, "Don't be afraid, just believe." and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, coom, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of our Lord.
1: We are in the early stages of studying the life of Peter. Simon Peter, a fisherman by trade, known as the Rock, was one of Jesus' first disciples. The four Gospels contain loads of stories, loads of accounts of Peter. And uh, in some cases, he is quite uh, an outspoken character. Uh, He speaks, he acts... Uh, as he follows in the footsteps of his master. Other times, Peter is a witness, a silent witness, who gets a front seat uh, entry, I guess, to the miracles of Jesus. And uh, as he hears Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, with every passing day, Peter is learning what discipleship is all about. Last week, Peter witnessed Jesus heal his mother-in-law in in their family home. It was a private miracle, only witnessed by a small number of people. Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, and she doesn't ask to be healed. The text doesn't indicate that she sort of exercised any particular faith. She was simply the recipient of the compassion, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus in today's reading, however, we encounter two individuals who, in contrast to Peter's mother-in-law, step out in faith and, uh, and Jesus brings healing to their situations because of their faith. We will firstly examine their story and then we'll consider this from Peter's perspective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, thank you for this day we thank you for this privilege and opportunity to again open your word. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us and through us this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would illuminate what it is you would say uh, to us and help us, Lord, to not only be a people who hear, but to be a people who respond and who live the word of God. Amen. Well, the first person who we encounter in the text is Jairus, a temple leader who in the light of day throws himself at the feet of Jesus. This is nothing short of an act of worship. To throw yourself at the feet of Jesus indicates what is in a person's heart. And we can see from this very act that Jairus holds Jesus in very high esteem. He is feeling desperate, vulnerable humbled and in need. His his 12-year-old daughter is on death's bed and Jairus pleads with Jesus to come and touch his daughter that she might be healed, that she might be restored. The second is a woman who had suffered severe hemorrhaging for 12 years, the entire lifespan of Jairus' young daughter. According to Leviticus 15, this poor woman was considered unclean and therefore unable to have any contact with anyone without passing on her uncleanliness to them. Her condition would have most likely meant that marriage and childbearing were impossible. She too is also feeling desperate, vulnerable, humbled and in great need. The contrast between Jairus the temple leader and this woman could not be greater. He is named. She is not. He is an important figure in the synagogue and plays an important role in public worship. Her presence or lack thereof in gathered worship is of no consequence whatsoever. He is a respected leader in the community. He is a somebody. She is a social outcast, a nobody. Jairus addresses Jesus to his face with words. This woman touches the hem of Jesus from behind. Jairus is a man of wealth, a man of means. This poor woman has spent everything she has to no avail. She has no one to advocate on her behalf. The only thing that Jairus and this woman have in common is that both, are victims of desperate circumstances, and they have no hope apart from Jesus. Jesus is the great equalizer. Before him, all stand equal. As the story goes on, Jairus pleads with Jesus to come and heal his dying daughter. And I think it's important to note that according to Mark, Jairus is not just Jairus. He is always Jairus the temple leader. At one point, he is just simply the temple leader. The Jewish religious leadership as a whole were unsupportive of Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. They were critical of Jesus. And ultimately, they were um, incredibly responsible for the death of Jesus. Before having a deathly daughter, I wonder, had Jairus been critical or condemning of Jesus? Jesus. I wonder if that's partly why Mark continues to reinforce that Jairus is a temple leader. Now, in his moment of need, perhaps he has had a change of heart. Regardless of a person's past, uh, regardless of a person's past attitude, Jesus will not condemn, judge, or play games with anyone who comes to seek him in earnest as Jairus does in this very moment. Jairus is now a model of faith. He believes in Jesus. There is no hesitancy on his part. He knows that if he can just get Jesus to touch his little girl, that she will be healed. There is no maybe. There is no could or perhaps in his mind. As far as he is concerned, Jesus can heal his little girl. And Jesus is clearly moved by this father's plea for mercy and sets out towards their family home where he can minister to the needs of Jairus's daughter. As they move forward, the imminent large crowd follows and presses in on Jesus. And in what is a rather urgent scene, the narrative is suddenly stopped by the presence of a solitary, silent figure in the crowd. Jesus has been touched, and he feels power going out of him. "'Who touched my clothes?' he asked. "'The disciples are humoured by this Lord. "'There are people pressing in around you from every side. "'How can you... how do you know? "'How can you say that someone has touched you or touched your clothes?' "'Well, Jesus knows exactly what he means.' He has not been accidentally brushed up against or bumped. Somebody has reached out in faith and touched him in the hope of being healed. Jesus was right. A woman steps forward in fear and trembling. She falls to the feet of Jesus. She is so familiar with the background. Her life has been lived in the shadows. She is very much a behind-the-scenes type of person. And now, in this moment, she finds herself in the spotlight with all eyes on her. I imagine Jesus crouching down and catching her gaze. He is not looking at anyone else. He is not at all concerned about what other people are thinking. In that moment, his sole focus is on her. And she finds the courage to tell him, what the Scriptures refer to as the whole truth. She tells him her entire life story. She tells him about the heartache of being socially outcast for 12 years. Perhaps the whole truth about not being able to be married or have children. The whole truth about all the money that she has spent on medical bills to no avail. And she tells Jesus the whole truth that she was at a point of absolute desperation, that she was at the end of her rope, that she had nothing else to lose. And so she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his cloak, I wouldn't want to touch his hand because then I could contaminate him. If I can just touch the very hem of his cloak, then maybe I'll be healed. And Jesus listens intently And the word he says to her is daughter. Daughter. You are mine. It's not woman, it's daughter. And now we have a story of two daughters a daughter of Jesus and a daughter of Jairus. What an endearing term. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What marvellous words of life, of hope, of healing, Jesus speaks over this dear woman's life. Why did Jesus call attention to this woman? She had been healed... Her faith had rewarded her. Jesus was in a rush. He was in a hurry. Jairus' daughter was dying. Jesus could have carried on. But he chose to stop. He chose to draw this woman who had spent her life in the shadows. He chose to draw her into the spotlight. Now, from what I know about people who like to be behind the scenes, who don't like any fuss, being in the spotlight, being in a situation where eyes are on you, it's not a comfortable place to be. So why does Jesus further humiliate this dear woman? Hasn't she already suffered enough? Jesus did it because he loved her. He cared for her. He saw her as a child of God. And as I mentioned, in this moment now, this woman is as important to Jesus as Jairus' own daughter is to Jairus. He forces the issue so that when she leaves healed, she will leave knowing that the one who healed her knows her listened to her, validated her, cared about her. She is a person. In fact, her story is a story worth hearing. You know, we focus so much on the healing aspect of of this miracle. Yes, Jesus healed her flow of blood, which was significant. But the fact that Jesus took the time in the busyness of what he was already doing To simply listen and to hear her story gives so much validation to the healing power of having our story heard. Each of us has a story, each of us has a whole truth. And in community like this, we we might reveal aspects or elements of that truth to one another, but not very many of us would know each other's whole truth, would we? It takes great vulnerability to share your whole truth. It often requires being with someone who is trustworthy and who actually wants to hear your whole truth. My brothers and sisters, Jesus not only knows your whole truth but he invites you to share your whole truth with him. In the splendor of this moment where Jesus is so fixated on healing this dear woman and hearing her full truth. (laughs) In the background, we have our friend Jairus, the temple leader. Now, for this woman to share her whole truth, I imagine that it wasn't just a five-second story. We don't know how long it took, but clearly... It was long enough for there to be tension and anxiety on Jairus' part. Understandably, because Jesus was, after all, going to heal his daughter, who was knocking on death's door, wasn't she? Jairus clearly would have been feeling highly anxious in this moment. And in the midst of this, Some people from Jairus' home come up to Jesus and say to Jairus, in front of Jesus, don't bother the master anymore, your daughter is dead. Now apart from needing some lessons in pastoral care, these people could also do with a dose of faith themselves. In effect, the subliminal message that they are sending is that this Jesus here, he is a good teacher, but he is not a healer. He can't heal your daughter, especially now that she is dead. So leave the poor man alone. He's done his pastoral care for the day. <laughs> and no doubt, Jairus would have been distraught overhearing such devastating news. You imagine the roller coaster that this man is on. His daughter is dying. He goes to find Jesus, potentially in great humiliation as being someone who may have condemned and criticized Jesus and seen him as a threat to the institution of which he had given his life. And then when Jesus says, yes, Jesus has compassion and goes with him, maybe he's thinking there is hope. We'll get there. (laughs) And then there is this woman that Jesus stops and gives his time and attention to. There's the anxiety and then there's the news that his daughter had in fact died. Just imagine the roller coaster of emotions that this guy is, is experiencing. And there's a moment where Jesus, whose eyes had been fixated on the woman, takes this same fixated gaze, takes this same intent of listening to a person's heart and a person's story, and looks at Jairus. And he says five words, don't be afraid, just believe. Not many words, but the content of those words are full of authority, they are full of hope, they are full of promise and care. Believe what? Believe what you believed when you asked me to heal your daughter. Believe that I can and I will bring healing. Jairus, look at me. Keep believing. Jesus, at this point, invites Jairus to exchange his fears, which are very Legitimate for faith. It's actually something that Jesus does all the time throughout scriptures. He invites people, just as he invites you and I, to exchange our fears. Sometimes those fears are incredibly valid. Other times... Not so much. But he invites us to exchange those fears for faith. Now, as I was journaling this week about this passage, the Holy Spirit stopped me at that point and said, Joel, what are your fears? And so I undertook that exercise. And, and there were all these fears that I'd never even considered. And one of those fears that just came out was that something would happen to Bron and that I would be left to raise three boys on my own. that That's something that I haven't really verbalized, but it was just, it was there. And as I began to write, there were actually quite a lot of things. There were relationships that are not resolved. There's... There's tension, there's anxiety, there's conflict. There are a whole lot of things that I actually had a fear about. And then to just read those words, don't be afraid, just believe over every single one of my fears. And I just simply share that to you as a fellow disciple, as a fellow brother of Christ, that maybe that's an exercise that you could engage with yourself. What are your fears? Get them down, get them out, and then allow the Holy Spirit, allow God to speak faith into that fear. It is a powerful exercise. Jesus is going to show Jairus the full extent of God's power. If Jairus' daughter had been alive and Jesus brought healing to her, that's amazing. That's a miracle. But Jesus wants to demonstrate the full extent of God's authority, not only over sickness and illness and disease, but over death. And so there's a sense of Jesus almost being intentional in allowing Jairus's 12-year-old daughter, to die, so that the glory of God can be even further increased in this opportunity. Well, they continue on their journey, arriving to a crowd of professional mourners, whose fake wailing turns to laughter at Jesus's statement that the girl is not dead, but sleeping. In private, with only the parents, Peter, James and John present, Jesus grasped the little girl's hand to raise her up, saying, "Talitha koum. And these two ordinary Aramaic words must have left a real impression on Peter. It clearly shows that Jesus did not employ some magic spell. This is no abracadabra. These are very simple, plain words. Little girl, get up. Mark tells us that immediately, to the astonishment of the parents and the disciples, the little girl stands up and starts walking around and is hungry. Give her something to eat. She is not a ghost. She is a a real, live person. What is Peter learning as a disciple in this account With baby Daniel at home, I have to keep frequently reminding myself that this is our new normal. I keep finding myself asking why I've not had time in the last three months to play my guitar very much, why I've not had time to read a novel to Brendan or or to myself, why I don't have time anymore to go for a long bike ride like I'd like to, as often as I would like. I'm also, as Bron is, feeling a lot more tired and and drained At the end of the day, the dinner, bath, story, prayer, clean-up routine is relentless. (laughs) And I often find myself thinking, when are things going to get back to normal? (laughs) Well, Joel, they won't. You have a third son now, and what we have is a, a new normal. And adjusting to a new normal is a process. Carol, you'd know all about that. You know, if Nia's here, she'd know all about that. Uh, those of us who have lost loved ones, those of us who find ourselves in a different life circumstance to what we're used to, are adjusting to a new normal. And I imagine that for some time, you're thinking, when's Rudy coming back? <laughs> you know, I imagine that for some time, you're, you're thinking about, when th- when's Joan coming back? or when, when are things going to return to what I knew? Peter was a fisherman, and he dropped his nets to follow Jesus. And now he is witnessing 12-year-old girls being raised from the dead. He is witnessing those who the religious organization deemed as being impure, without a place in the temple. Where on earth do those people find healing and wholeness? Where on earth do those kinds of people uh, reconcile with God? They're nobodies. They're social outcasts. And now Jesus, the Son of God, is welcoming, welcoming, drawing out of the shadows these kinds of people. I mean, this is Peter's new normal. Jesus is referring to God almighty, holy one who can only be accessed by an intermediate priest with the sacrifice of a lamb, Jesus is now referring to this holy God as Abba, as Daddy, as Father. This God is intimate and personal. This God looks at us in the eyes and listens to our story. This is Peter's new normal. Peter is recalibrating what that new normal is as he begins to experience, not only hear about learn about, but actually experience what the kingdom of God is like. That the kingdom of God for disciples, the kingdom of God for followers of Jesus, is the new normal. And the kingdom of God, my brothers and sisters, and the values of the kingdom and the behaviors of the kingdom are so radically countercultural to the world that we live in. And so, for Peter, but also for you and I, we need to constantly remember that our new normal is the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we love, in the kingdom of God, we forgive. In the kingdom of God, we don't judge or condemn. In the kingdom of God, we don't hold grudges. In the kingdom of God, we are generous. In the kingdom of God, we turn the other cheek. In the kingdom of God, we pray for the enemy. In the kingdom of God, we seek to model beauty in image of our Creator. The kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, is our new normal. And so often we continue to live in our old normal, our old reality. Where hatred, where fear, where judgment, where condemnation, where selfishness, where greed, where all of these things, these old sinful habits, these old ways, these old behaviors continue to govern our lives. But the new normal of the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of second chances. Our new normal advances the cause of the kingdom. Peter is learning that all people matter to God. God. Because of a tragic condition of which she had no control over, the woman with the flow of blood was a social outcast. She was a reject. She had no place at the temple. By healing and acknowledging her worth, Jesus draws this woman from being an outsider to an insider. In God's economy, she belongs. She has a place. Jesus, the perfect holy one, the only person who can legitimately judge, does not discriminate, but welcomes Peter is learning that Jesus wants to encounter people and speak value and dignity and worth into their soul. This won't be the last time God teaches this lesson to Peter. It's a value Peter will need to understand about the kingdom of God if he is to go on and become God's leader. This woman also serves as a model of faith to all who hear her story. It's incredibly significant in a male-dominated culture. Peter is learning about the healing presence of Jesus. In both healings, there is an exchange of impurity for purity. Disease and death, impure. Don't touch or you will be contaminated. Jesus exchanges his purity for their impurity. Twelve years of shame and frustration are resolved in a momentary touch of Jesus. A life which would have tragically ended after twelve years was resurrected with a word. As I mentioned last Sunday, the very presence of Jesus is the presence of healing. Peter himself will not only experience the healing of his own soul by Jesus, But in time, he will come to depend and rely on the healing power of Jesus to touch the broken lives of others, as we will see in the story of Acts later this year. Peter is learning that faith is trust exercised in the midst of hopelessness. Both Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood who faced hopeless situations chose to exercise their faith in Jesus Jairus had faith that Jesus could heal his daughter. The woman had faith that by simply touching the hem of Jesus' robe from behind that she would be healed. In this instance, Peter is learning that faith opens the door to the power of God. In both of these examples, faith was rightly directed towards Jesus and it was rewarded This encounter teaches Peter that faith is persistent. The nameless woman worked her way through the crowd and overcame any sense of fear that she might have felt from being exposed. She rose above the fear that she could contaminate Jesus or others and edged closer to him with every step until she arose at the place that she was looking for, the feet of Jesus. And there on the ground lay the hem of his cloak. She reaches out and touches it, believing with every fiber in her being that she can in fact be healed with just a touch of the master's robe. It was a risk, yes, but it was a risk worth taking. This is a faith that knows no limits. Whilst Jesus invites Jairus to exchange his fear for faith, the woman's faith, which in fact had already been exchanged from fear to faith, ends up defining the faith that Jairus needs to now exercise in the face of the death of his daughter. It's an incredibly clever story. It's because it's an incredibly clever and intelligent and all knowing Master, King, Lord, Jesus, who the story is all about. Mark 5 21 to 43 teaches disciples of Jesus like Peter, like you and like me, that the kingdom of God is our new normal, that all people matter to God, that the presence of Jesus is in fact the presence of healing and that faith is trust exercised in the midst of hopelessness. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for The Gospels, this is one of so many accounts where we encounter the incredible love and mercy and grace and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that that love and that mercy and that compassion and that healing presence is just as available to us today as it was back then. It is available to us today by the power of your Holy Spirit And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would minister to each soul who is here today. Minister your healing presence. Minister your listening presence. Minister by the presence of your Spirit that we may become healed and whole and more like you so that we may operate in the values and the ways of your kingdom that your kingdom, Lord, may indeed come to earth as it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.